All right, so um, we are in the final week of a series here at the river uh, that we're calling Tomorrow People, Tomorrow People. And um, I know a lot of you, again, you're here for the first time this week. Um, What is this series all about? Well, this is a series in which we're talking about the fact that most people in our culture tend to live for just today, right? They tend to live for the moment. And um, God has instructed people who follow him um, who follow Jesus to say, don't, don't live like that. You need to live in the light of eternity. You need to think about your life in the light of what's going to happen in the future. The fact that, that one day, that one day Jesus is going to come back and all things are going to be renewed. All things are going to change. So, so tomorrow people are people that live in the light of that. They, 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 they prioritize things in their life. They do things in their life based on the fact that that reality is, is coming. You know, it's going to arrive. Now, in this final message of the series, I want to talk about the end. The end. The end of all things. All right? The end of existence. That moment that I just mentioned when Jesus actually comes back. What, what will that be like? What are some things that we need to know about this particular subject? What does the Bible teach about this? Now, you need to know that this is a huge topic, okay? And it is impossible for me to cover it all in just one message, but I'm going to try. Um, enormous amount has been written about it in the last 2,000 years, especially in this century, actually. There's been a lot of disagreements over it. Churches and whole denominations have split over different opinions on this topic. It involves many passages and images in Scripture that are sometimes hard to understand. It's so challenging, in fact, that I've been praying real hard that Jesus would come back by 10.30 a.m. this morning so that I wouldn't get anything wrong. But apparently that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So... So here's how I want to handle this this morning. First of all, I want to look at three important things that Jesus said about the end based on Mark 13. And then, and then I want to make two pastoral points at the end of this message to give us something tangible to take home with um, this morning. Um, but let me just say this. This is one of these messages that you're going to have to work a little harder, okay? So do we need, do we need any more coffee around here? Extra cup? Okay. So you're going to work a little hard. You need to focus a little bit more this morning. The first thing the Bible teaches about this particular topic is this. Jesus, Jesus' return will be a surprise. Jesus' return will be a surprise. And um, let's turn to Mark 13, if you have your Bibles, and we're going to read verses 32 to 37. Mark 13, verse 32 to 37. It's up on the big screen here if you don't have your Bibles this morning. But about that day, this is Jesus talking now. This is Jesus teaching about the end. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch. Anybody here catching a recurring theme in this verse? Now, what Jesus is teaching is we do not know the time of Jesus' return. 
In fact, in verse 32, Jesus makes this staggering statement. He says, I myself, you know, don't know when this time will be. Only the Father. Only the Father, he says. So when is Jesus coming back? The correct answer to this question is, I don't know. Okay, now just to make sure, so you, you, you go home with this sort of solidified in your brain, I'm going to ask you now a question. I'm going to ask you, when is Jesus coming back? And the right answer, you're going to all reply, I don't know. Okay, so here we go. You ready? When is Jesus coming back? Okay, good, good, good. We don't know. And Jesus is as clear as he can be on this topic. Now, in spite of that, in spite of this very clear teaching, every generation of people has tried to guess that, you know, I try to guess when Jesus is coming back. And in and, and, and almost every generation, they think that this, this generation is the last generation. In the second century, there was a man named Montanus who developed a big following based on the idea that Jesus was coming back in his time. And as a result, people he convinced did crazy things. They, they quit take care, taking care of their flocks, and they quit cultivating crops, and they sold all their belongings. They were convinced. They were convinced. And, and when it didn't happen, of course, it was a real embarrassment and a big disappointment. But this sort of thing has gone on century after century after century. In the year 999, because the next year would be the year 1000, the millennium, there was a huge number of people that thought, surely, surely now this will be the end, the thousand years, right? And they all gathered to hear Pope Sylvester too. He was the Pope at the time and deliver what they believed was going to be the last sermon in history, right? On New Year's Eve, they gathered together. And people did remarkable things. They sold their stuff. They, they sold their possessions. They quit working. They, they confessed all of these, you know, these horrible things that they had done to, 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 to people. And they, they, they shared all their secrets, basically. And then imagine New Year's Day. You wake up, right? And to their horror, they discover that all these people that they have shared all these secrets with are still there. And they're still there, right? By the way, some of you may have experienced just a little bit of this. Do you remember in 1999, right? It was turning over to the year 2000 and the whole millennial thing, right? And we all thought all the computers were going to crash and the world was going to go up in smoke. That This might be the, the end of all things, all right? Now, just a show of hands... And we're here in church, so you have to be honest, okay? How many of you actually stockpiled just a little bit more food at that juncture? Oh, you guys are not telling the truth. I, I know we did in our house. Not a lot, but just a little extra, right? The shopping cart was a little fuller um, on that, on that, right before that event. Um, of course, a little earlier in the 20th century, there was a book that came out, this book, you might have seen it, The Late Great Planet Earth. How many of you have read this book, by the way? Okay, I read this book when I, I think I was in high school. It scared the you-know-what out of me. And I was, I was all upset. This is it. This is, this is going to be the end. You know, and, and, and Hal Lindsey had declared that the year 1988, in the year 1988, that was it. It was all over, right? The end was coming. And, of course, I took this to my dad, who was a pastor, and he was like, ah, don't worry about it. But I worried about it, all right? At that point, it wasn't, I wasn't even married at that time. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to get married and I'm never going to have kids. But, but nothing happened. And we're, we're still here, right? And now they're here, right? Friends, if anybody anywhere, no matter how Christian they might seem, says they know when Jesus is coming back, they're lying. 
okay? It's not our job to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Our job, and this just, this just flows out of what Jesus taught, is to watch, to work, to pray, to minister in the light of eternity, in the light of eternity. Our job is to be tomorrow people, all right? We don't know when eternity's coming, but our job is to get ready for it. So the second point is this. We are living in the end times. We are living in the end times. Now, maybe you're saying, well, doesn't that kind of contradict what you just said, right? I mean, you know we're living in the end times. What I mean is this. It's that we have been living in the end times since the time of Jesus, okay? Now, we need to look at a passage this morning that's fairly dense, Mark 13. And um, again, this is teaching about the end times, and this is, this is kind of prophetic, uh, a prophetic word that Jesus is giving, so it's a little bit more difficult to understand. Um, but let me just read it for you. It's a little longer passage, so stick with me. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. They were referring to the temple in Jerusalem. If you've ever been there, the stones are massive. I don't even know how they got them up the mountain, but they, they did. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father, and a father his children. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, if you want to go home today, um, it goes on for another 16 verses. I'm not going to read them this morning, but Jesus um, just clarifies a few things in terms of the points that he's making earlier in the passage. So, so what, is, what is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is saying that they are essentially three signs, three signs that his disciples should look for in order to know that human history has moved into its final phase and his return is imminent, all right? Can be expected at any moment. One of the signs is the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, okay? Jesus says the temple will be destroyed. He predicts this, and we're told by the historian Josephus and others that, in fact, this happened in 70 AD. About 40 years after Jesus' time, the Roman army came in because of another rebellion in Israel, and they decided to, to, to put this down in a, in a brutal way. And uh, they sacked Jerusalem, they tore down the temple, and it was a time of great, great suffering in Israel. If you ever want to read an interesting book, uh, read some of, of, of Josephus' descriptions of what happened during this time. Uh, they're quite startling. This is the event that Jesus is referring to. 
Um, Look at chapter 13, verse 14. Mark says, quoting Jesus here, but when you see the desolating sacrilege, it's another way of saying it, and then um, this phrase comes from the Old Testament. It has to do with the defiling and the destruction of the temple. When you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be, in other words, the temple, then notice there's a little parenthetical insertion. And it's the only statement of of its kind in this chapter. Mark inserts this, let the reader understand. And you're like, what? What's that all about? Let the reader understand. Apparently what's going on is Mark inserts this comment because in the day when the gospel of Mark was written, right? And the gospels were written some years, around 60, 70 AD, all right? He's writing and the fall of Jerusalem was either taking place or about to take place. Okay? So that, that's why Mark adds that. He goes, Let the re- this is what Jesus is talking about. You see what's going on in Jerusalem right now? That's, that's what that phrase means. Now, could it, be, could it be that in this teaching, Jesus is looking beyond this event and giving us a view of what the end times will look like in general? And I think this is a very good possibility Why? Because this is a way a lot of prophetic um, literature and prophetic prophecy works, okay? So in other words, Jesus is prophesying about what's happening in 70 AD, but that's like one horizon. That's the most important, immediate horizon. But, But the way prophecy works sometimes is you have this one horizon, the immediate horizon, but then beyond that are multiple other horizons. Because history kind of repeats itself. Have you noticed that? Right? I mean, empires rise, empires fall. Strong men rise, strong men fall, okay? Uh, and and it, it goes on and on and on. And Jesus is saying, is saying, yes, this is going to happen in 70 AD, but this sort of thing, right, this sort of, 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 of destruction, of problems, of issues when it comes to, to, to people of faith, those things are going to happen throughout time, okay? And so um, we can certainly see that as we look back through history, right? And, and, and this is the same when, when he's talking about the catastrophes and earthquakes and all sorts of things that he's talking about in this passage. These things are going to go on as history unfolds until that time that Jesus returns. Are you with me? Now, then there's a second sign that Jesus talks about, and that is the coming of tribulation or the persecution of the church. Jesus here speaks of his followers, his devoted friends. And he says, listen, um, you're going to be beaten. You're going to be hated. You're going to be handed over for trial. You're going to be put to death. And he said, this will happen to you, speaking directly to his disciples. And if you're wondering if that happened, it did. Just read the book of Acts. We know this is what took place. Jesus' disciples did indeed suffer imprisonment and beatings and martyrdom and, and so on. Now, again, Could Jesus be also prophesying about future centuries? Because the truth be told, as the church has expanded throughout history, as it's gone to different nations and different places around the world, what's happened? Christians have suffered. Every time there's been a major missional movement, one of the heart, one of the, the aspects of it that, 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 that just it seems to be true every time is that the initial aspects of it involve the suffering of people who are missionaries, who are willing to go to those places. Think about what happened in Japan when the gospel first came to Japan, horrible suffering that Christians there went through. So again, Jesus is looking at this first horizon, the suffering of his own disciples. He's saying it's going to happen, but he's also looking at multiple horizons of these sort of things happening until the end of time, until he comes back. Now, 
The third sign that Jesus talks about in Mark 13 was that the good news would be proclaimed not just to Israel, but it would be proclaimed around the world, to to every ethnic group, to all the Gentiles. He says in chapter 13, verse 10, the gospel must be preached to who? To all nations. Some people have taken this to mean that until the gospel has actually been preached to all of humanity, Jesus couldn't possibly come back, right? So we needed to go to every tribe in the densest part of, you know, the Brazilian jungle and make sure they heard the gospel. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but understand that, that when Jesus is talking about going and make disciples of all nations, this certainly was at least appeared for the disciples to be fulfilled in their generation, right? Paul says, chapter 1, verse 23 in the book of Colossians, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, past tense. That has been, right? And so there, there was this sense among the disciples that the gospel has already gone out, right? So we can see all these three signs that... In essence, they've already all happened already, all right? All these things have taken place. And in the lifetime of the disciples of Jesus, they believed they had already taken place, all right? So what does that mean? What it means if we understand all of this, we understand that we are in the end times. We are in the end times right now. And again, um, the New Testament confirms this. In 1 Peter Uh, 4, verse 7, Peter says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourself for the sake of your prayers. 1 John 2, verse 12, John says, Children, it is the last hour. Okay? So there was this deep sense among Jesus' disciples that they were in the end times. And so we are to this day. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so important? It's important because throughout the history of the church, And this is especially true in the 20th century. There there has been a lot of um, bad teaching on this subject, right? There's a lot of of ideas out there. And and again, some of these are by well-meaning Christians that a whole bunch of events need to take place, right? Events such as the rapture, uh, which is not in the Bible, by the way. Um, Events like some uh, extreme kinds of tribulation, are going to take place, all right? Um, the, the, the restoration of the nation of Israel. And, and, and a lot of well-meaning Christians, they point to these things and they say, they haven't happened yet, therefore, we are not in the end times. But hopefully I've made the point to you and made it clear that we actually are in the end times, that nothing more needs to happen. Jesus could come back this afternoon and all, all would be fulfilled, The the other aspect of this is that some of these teachings that have gone out, for example, teachings like the rapture, all right, these teachings that are are not biblical, and if you're, listen, they they can do horrible or create horrible things, right? Because if if you're a Christian and you're going to be raptured out of here before the final judgment, what what motivation do you have to be an earth keeper? What motivation do you have to, to, to be a good steward, to, to work for justice, to solve the problems of homelessness, or to work in AIDS hospices? Uh, why, why bother if all that's going up in smoke anyway? Remember, what the Bible is teaching is not the destruction of all things at the end, but the renewal of all things in the end. What must happen before Jesus' Jesus's return? Nothing. 
He could return at any time. We are in the last days. All right, third thing, third thing. Um, important teaching, and that is this. Jesus' return will bring an end to evil. Jesus' return will bring an end to evil. There's a powerful verse in the book of Revelations, and look at this verse. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are, are many crowns. On his robe and on his thigh he has written uh, this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is Jesus? He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. His Lordship extends to every area of this universe and over everyone. Jesus is Lord over Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau. He's Lord over Hollywood and Bollywood. He's Lord over the hard right and the hard left. He really is, whether people recognize this or not. Now, we can rejoice about this. We, also, we ought to rejoice about this. And I'm going to talk about that, what it means to live with outrageous hope. But we also need to surrender, friends. It's also sobering to think about the fact that we need to surrender. The day's coming, the Bible says, when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess on every street corner, in every city around this tired old world, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what the Bible teaches Jesus is the king, and his eyes are like blazing fire, and he will judge the living and the dead, and everyone will see it, and everyone will know it one day. And in that day, evil, wherever it's found, will die. You know, the writers of the Bible saw this as very good news because they understood that we live in a world that is hungering for justice. Do you ever get overwhelmed by the sheer amount of injustice and corruption and problems and, and evil in the world? I know I do. Sometimes you don't even want to turn on the news anymore because of all the stuff that's going on around the world. But the biblical writers say, one day... One day it's going to come to an end. Jesus is going to come back and justice, justice is going to roll like a river. There's this uh, television show, I think it's Mysteries. It's called Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. Um, no more unsolved mysteries in that day. No more missing children. I mean, that show is going to get canceled when Jesus comes back. Okay? Everything will be brought to light. Every case will be closed. Every ledger is going to be balanced. Every account is going to be settled. Justice will reign. Think about it. Now there's an important question that Christians sometimes ask relative to Christ's return. Christians sometimes ask, will we go through the judgment? Will we go through the judgment? And let me just comment on that. Not in the sense that we have to be uncertain or anxious about our fate, Okay? God is, is very clear that if we know and love him, we can have great assurance that our sins are totally forgiven and that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if you know and love the Lord Jesus, you have nothing to worry about. But there's also a message, right? And that is, watch. Be ready. I mean, 
1 Corinthians 3, verse 13, Paul, the, the writer of it, says this. He says, The worker of each building will become visible for, for the day, the day of the Lord, will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built in the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, so, so, so what the idea of, of what's being taught here is that that our lives, the choices that we make, the things that we give ourselves to, all of that's going to be tested one day, all right? Every one of us will go through a refining, okay? And what that means is all the stuff that we give ourselves to that we aren't proud of, all the stuff that we, that we do in our lives that, that, that opposes the will of God, that's going to end. And so, and so, the, the writers of the New Testament, Jesus himself, are saying, you know, be watchful, be discerning, live as tomorrow people, live in the light of this, make decisions in the light of this, organize your money around this, organize the way in which you do work around this concept, because one day, everything you do will be refined. And whatever you're doing for the glory of God will survive, but whatever you're doing for the glory of your own self and the building of your own kingdom, that will not survive. So that that's the sobering message. And so it's important for every one of us, if we're followers of Jesus, to sit down every once in a while and to say to ourselves, what does it mean for me to live as a tomorrow person? What does that look like in my life? What are the choices that I need to make? What are some of the things I need to die in my life, right, that I've been giving myself to, that I need to throw overboard? And what are the things that maybe I've been ignoring do I need to give myself to? Because these are the things that are really important. These are the things that are going to last into eternity. All right. Um, that brings me to two pastoral comments that I want to make at the end of this message, and then we'll be done. Um, how should we live? How should we live? First feet, firstly, we need to live with passionate urgency. With passionate urgency. Uh, let me say this. Your life matters, okay? Your life matters, I mean, let's return to the passage we read in the beginning, Mark 13. Jesus in this passage says that when the master leaves, he puts his servants in charge, okay? So it's not like he just leaves and says, all right, well, do whatever you want. No, the master leaves. He says, you guys are in charge. Keep watch, right? Now, you're the stewards of the house, so who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about us. He's saying our lives in this world matter, right? He has given us work to do. He's given us, us responsibilities, and we need to act that way. Verse 33, he says, beware, keep alert. Verse 34, he says, it's like a man going on a journey. He leaves, puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to do what? To be on watch. What he's saying is don't drift. Don't drift. And that is so easy for us to do in this life when there are so many other things that can distract us. See, see, what Jesus is identifying here is that one of our main problems is not that we just will simply defy Jesus. It will say, oh, I don't want anything to do with you. No, but oftentimes some of our main problems is that we just drift, is that we just don't think about the most important things in life. We don't act like tomorrow people. So let me just say this to you this morning. You need to live with a sense of urgency. Every day matters. What you have been given responsibility over in this life matters. The parenting of your children matter. The maintenance of your marriage matters. 
all right? What you prioritize in life, what you give yourself to, how you spend your time, what you give your treasures to matters, all right? And as people who know and love the Lord Jesus, we need to, we need to live this way. We need to live with passionate, passionate urgency. This is your one and only life. Live it that way. Live it that way in light of eternity. And the second thing is this. Live with outrageous hopefulness. Live with outrageous hopefulness. Live with unquenchable, inextinguishable hope. Whatever is going on in your life, however hard it may be. You know, yesterday we had a a men's breakfast, and it was really cool. Um, We had some guys that shared some, some pretty heavy things, some difficult things. And, I mean, there were some good things shared as well and some, you know, grateful things, but some hard things, right? And we thought about some others in the congregation who are suffering as well, right? And here's, here's the truth about all of us. We're all going to go through some trouble in this, in this life. We're all going to go through problems. We're all going to go through issues. The thing is, Jesus' kingdom has come, but it has not come in its completeness. And so what that means is, in this world, where, there, where the forces of evil and darkness still have some power, all right, what that means is, there's going to be trouble, there's going to be hardships, there's going to be death. It still has its grip on this world. Now, is Jesus' victory assured? Absolutely. That happened on the cross. When he stepped out of that grave, after three days, he broke the power of sin and death, and he assured us of the fact that one day he will return. And what happened to him will happen to every one of us. A resurrection. That's the hope of the future. But between now and then, there will be trouble. There will be problems. But in the midst of that, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live with outrageous hope. So we go to funerals, but we go to funerals in a different way than people who are not tomorrow people. We go to funerals and we say, it's heartbreaking that this person is no longer with us, but we'll see them again one day, right? When we face cancer, when we face difficulties, when we face divorce, when we face problems in our family, right? We face them and we hate it because we don't want to go through those things and it's painful and it's hard and we're suffering. But we also do so with outrageous hope because we know that one day, one day, all these things that have been taken from us, all these things that we have lost will be restored to us when Jesus comes back. The redemption of all things. And so we live in the light of that. And let me tell you this, this is one of the greatest gifts that you can bring to people in this world, that you can live with this kind of outrageous hope, that you can say, I know there's bad things that are happening in this world, but one day they're going to be put straight. And this is something that you can use to invite people to join, to join those of us who understand these things and live in the light of eternity. Are you with me? Live with outrageous hope because an outrageous hope has been delivered to you in Jesus. That's the promise of the gospel. You know, there's a, a great old hymn by Charles Wesley. And I don't know why, but some of those great old hymns sometimes say it the best. It's called Love Divine, All Love Excelling. And the final verse goes like this. And we'll end the message with this as a kind of a prayer. Finish then thy new creation. The writer Charles is talking to God now. Finish then thy new creation. 
pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this teaching this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can live with outrageous hope in a world where there's so much trouble. We can live with the outrageous hope that we have in you. And so we just want to declare at the end of this series of messages, we want to declare that we want to be tomorrow people. We want to be people that live in the light of eternity. We want to give ourselves to, to things that matter. We want to love people with excellence. We want to care for people with diligence. We want to be faithful in our marriages. We want to be faithful stewards. We want to live with outrageous hope because of you. And so this morning, we ask you to fill us again with your spirit. We ask you to fill us again with your courage, with your strength, because we need it in this challenging world. And we'll follow you with passionate urgency. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people agreed and said, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship.